Secondarily, this is the second of the tale of two Scots is that this morning uh, we have Scott Steinman with us, with his lovely bride Tanya, with Mr. and Mrs. Steinman along with them, with Steinman children and boyfriends, and we're just delighted to have the Steinman contingent with us here this morning. And a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, maybe a month and a half ago, at the wedding, I saw Scott and and. Many of you, you have no idea who Scott is, so just let me fill, this, fill you in a little bit. Scott was our youth leader here for a long time, probably, what, what would you say, like, 2000, like 90, 98, 97, something like that, or further? 93. Okay, so from 93 to 2007, roughly, right? 93 to 2007, Scott was youth leader here, uh, did an impeccable job. Um, built up the youth group, built up the youth group. Uh, he and Jamie were the leaders at that particular time. There are still plenty of young people around here whose lives were touched and influenced and affected by Scott's testimony to them. And you deserve that, man. You deserve that because just a faithful man, a good man. He was coming out all the way from Blairstown. Sunday, Wednesday, all the way here, all the way back, never said a word about it, did it all as volunteer work, and was a blessing, a tremendous blessing to what was Philadelphia Church at the time, now is Freedom Church, but we are just, I'm so grateful to you, Scott, and for all the hard work you put into this church, and all the fruit, man, that you have garnered over the years. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, so I asked Scott if he would come and just share something of his, of his story and his journey, and now with, uh, with Tanya joining him by his side, kind of a, a new adventure, a new season of life, and so I thought it'd be great we just get to meet Scott again, and, uh, and I know he's, he's a man who really has the Word of God in his heart, and so he'll be sharing something rich and something uh, precious and insightful from the Word of God. So anyway, let's make Scott feel really embarrassed and silly when he comes to this morning. Scott Steinman, we love you, man. And now I give to you the holy microphone. And the glass pulpit. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there weren't that many of you here when I got here this morning. Um, yeah, I know. We used to call it Philadelphia time. Um, but uh, hey, you know, you got a church full of musicians and artists, and you can't expect it to be in the Eastern time zone, right? Um, the glass pulpits, I, I can't even like hide my teleprompter or anything. I don't know what to do here. Can you all see my legs? Um, all right. <laughs> Well, we better pray or this is going to be a mess. Uh, <laughs> Father God, we just want to call out to you and just want to say thank you, God. We love you. We just love you and we honor you and we praise your holy name because you are good. You have just shown us who you are. You've given us new direction in life. You've filled us with hope for all eternity, Lord God. You've strengthened us when we were weak, Lord God. You've helped us in our greatest need. You have remained forever faithful faithful and true, Lord God. And we want to thank you for that. And I just want to pray today, Lord God, that you would be honored and glorified in everything that is said and done. Get all the honor, Lord God. Get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, it's good to be home. Uh, It really is. This church will always be my home has been my home for many, many years. Uh, Steve asked me to come and give a testimony today and and speak for a little bit, and I I think it's a great honor and a privilege to do so. So I thank you for that. Um, I I am truly grateful to return home today. 
The title of my message today is that seasons change, but God remains the same. Seasons change, but God remains the same. So I, I didn't give any of you guys my scriptures or anything like that, but I trust you guys are technological and all that, but we'll see how that works. So you guys still do the scripture thing on them? Yeah. yeah, okay. So we missed that too, um, but, uh, but anyway. Do you need them to load something up? I got so much to load up. Yeah, would you, yeah, would you, yeah, when I say it, then you put it up there, maybe. Uh, well, good luck, guys. <laughs> That's why you make the big bucks back there. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Seasons change, but God remains the same. Well, let me begin uh, at the beginning. Um, so I met my wife the weekend that I was saved in 1985. And uh, I was married at 21, and she was 19. And I was always very proud of saying that, because everyone would say it would fail. And they didn't know our God. And they didn't know when you have two people who love each other and love the Lord, and you got the power of the Holy Spirit behind you, that you're going to go forward with the strength and wisdom that God gives you, and God's going to make a way for you. So I was always proud of that. And then, you know, we had seven kids, and they'd say, oh, you got so many kids, how are you going to make it in this world? But, you know, the Word of God says that children are a blessing from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward for them. So I took them as a word. So we had seven kids, and, and, and they always said, oh, how are you going to pay for this, and how are you going to pay for that? Well, here we are. i got a few of them here today, and look at this. Uh, the Lord has been faithful because that's what he is. He's faithful. Um, so anyway, I, I first met Steve at a coffee house at White Rock Community Center. My oldest son, Shane, who's now 31, was a baby in a car seat on the table. Slept the whole night. It was a wonderful thing. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Lorraine was pregnant with Manny, and um, that's where we began our... Uh, our journey together. That Sunday after the, the coffee house, we came to church and we just never looked back. Um, God had called us here, or actually over there, you know, we kind of been a few places, but um, through the years we saw God move in so many ways. And I grew as a Christian, I learned what it meant to be a, a man, a man of God, a servant of God. I learned what it meant to serve the Lord, to work together with God's people um, as the body of Christ. And I just want to encourage you, too, to do that. You're a young person here today. I want to encourage you. You want to find the abundant life that you hear about in the scriptures? You serve the Lord. You give your life to the Lord. You give everything. And pray. And if you don't have that in your heart, you don't have the desire burning in your heart to go and serve the Lord and to give everything to him, you pray that God would give you that because otherwise, you know what? You're just going to get second best. You are, because God's best is always found in doing what God wants you to do. So I encourage you out there today to serve the Lord. Um, give your all to him, and you will find that it's the best life. That it would, it's the life that you could have chosen, or you would have chose, if you could see the whole picture. Because, you know, we don't see the whole picture at all. We really don't. We see a little crack underneath the door, and God doesn't even have a wall there. And so let me just tell you that God has something for you, um, for the man or woman who desires to serve him. You will find the abundant life that, that God has for you. It's a big, needy world out there. It is. Serve the Lord. So it was on this stage right here that um, my wife and I dedicated six of our seven children. It was on this stage that we testified to what God had done around the world through young people um, many, many times. It was on this stage that I had the privilege of praying for many, many people, preaching the word, and it was on this stage that I eulogized my wife. That was about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Couples, husbands and wives, I want you to understand something. And I really mean this in all seriousness. Your prayers as a husband and wife together, as a couple, are more powerful than any I know. 
You can't beat those prayers. Husbands, wives, pray together. Pray together. There's power in those prayers. You want detailed answers? Pray detailed prayers. You want general answers? Pray general prayers. Don't put down your spouse. Don't make degrading remarks. Be their greatest supporter. Pray for each other daily. Because you know what? In one day, that person could be gone. And I speak from the knowledge of my experience. Just like that, my wife at age 52 years old was gone. She passed away suddenly the Sunday before Thanksgiving in 2020. It was sudden, it was devastating, it was awful. In the middle of COVID, on Thanksgiving week, I immediately knew where to turn. I called Steve. I hadn't been going here for 12 or 13 years. And you know what? He made it happen. I would love to have his reward and Lorraine's reward. I'm not sure who made the food here. I'm not sure how it was organized or, or what was even done behind the scenes, but I just know that this church, this body of people were here for my family and you're here for me, just like they've always been. And in that season, God showed himself faithful through all of you, and we will never forget it. My children and I, my parents are here today, we'll never forget it. It was on this stage that my children sang the words, all my life you have been faithful. That was a song chosen by them for their mother's funeral, because they knew that all their life God had been faithful. You know, children may not always do what you say. In fact, they probably won't always do what you say, but they will imitate what the adults around them do. Understand this. Whatever you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. So you serve the Lord in moderation. God's going to use that witness before them to spur them toward serving the Lord. And, I, and I'm so grateful for my children because, you know, at the, at the lowest part of their lives, at the lowest part of their lives, they chose to trust God. They chose to believe God. They chose to run to him, to hold on to each other, and God has been faithful to our family. So faithful, so faithful. Back then, when, when, when my wife Amy died, um, I had, like I said, seven kids. Three were married at the time. My son Shane was uh, 28 years old, I suppose. Um, he had a, a little boy at the time. Now he has two grandkids, and he loves the Lord. He, he's serving the Lord out in, in Pennsylvania. Um, Shannon uh, had one child at the time. Now she has two. She lives in Indiana. She's married to a youth pastor. They have a, a thriving ministry out there. Um, God is using them greatly. My daughter, Lauren, um, was married to my current pastor's son. Um, they love the Lord. She's expecting a baby uh, in um, September. My daughter, Molly, who was a senior in college at the time, is now serving the Lord in a Muslim country. Um, impacting the world uh, for Jesus Christ. And my daughter, Emma, who was a senior in high school, has now just finished her second year of nursing school um, and is really moving forward and doing well. My daughter, Hope, at the time, it was two weeks before her 16th birthday that her mother passed away. She went forward in the Lord. She's going to be a student in Liberty University in the fall. And my son, Brian, was only 12 years old. And now he's 14 years old, almost 15 He'll be going to Faith Christian School next year, and his, his life is a testimony to his love for God. And let me just tell you something. God was faithful to our family. My children love Jesus, and, and in our darkest hour, um, they were there for me. They really were. They were there for me. Now I have seven children. Three are married, so that makes ten, and we have four and a half grandchildren. Um, maybe it's 4.6. I don't know. I'm not really sure what your priorities are as a family. 
But I can tell you how to determine what they are. But before I do that, I think it's really important that we understand that as Christians, we just have to get our, we have to get our priorities straight. We really do. Um, this might offend some of you, but you kind of know I'm good for that if you know me. Um, so <laughs> our priorities can't be sports. They, they can't be even grades or popularity. They can't, they can't be the priority. They can't be. They're so empty. Um, the priority for any Christian parent is to teach their children to love and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And this takes time and focus and energy. And most importantly, it takes the most difficult thing, I think, is modeling. Modeling out what it means to be a believer in our homes. We want to be the same person on the street that we are in our homes. We want to love the Lord in our homes. Say you're sorry. Say you were wrong. Admit your faults. Be real. My favorite new social media app. Be real. <laughs> we have to make this a priority. Um, because, you know, the generation of young people that is in the United States today is crying out for something real. They are. Give me something real. Give me something real. Everything has a filter. Everything has a different, you know, whatever going on out there on the Internet. AI, uh, chat, GPT, whatever. Um, the world is looking for something to hold on to. And Jesus is the answer in all of our seasons, all of our seasons, for in every season, God remains the same. He is faithful, he's true, and he's able. And if you want to know what your priorities are, just check your schedule from the past year. Check your checkbook from the last year. Where did you spend your time? Where would you spend your money? That's how you know what your priorities were, because that's where they go. Our time and our money go to our priorities. And I'm not condemning you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just saying, let's take a self-assessment, because you all know... I know that every one of you here, you want your children to love the Lord, right? You want to see them um, serving God. What greater joy is it, like John said, what greater joy is it for me than to see my children walking in the, in the truth? Um, so that's, that's the most important thing. But regardless of priorities, storms are going to come. They're going to happen. None of us is going to escape those storms. And so it, it may sound a little cliche or simplistic, but the Word of God says to build your house on a rock. And, and I didn't realize this, you know, when, when my wife died. I, di I didn't realize that, um, that that's kind of what that meant in the middle of that situation, that if you build your house on a rock, you know, Matthew 7, 24, this is the time, guys. Matthew 7, 24, 27, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And I recall many, many mornings Many, many late evenings, lonely mornings, lonely evenings, cold nights where I knelt on the floor with my face to the ground, weeping and crying out to God, God, you got to help me. I have all these kids and, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be a good man. I don't know how to be a good father. God, you got to help me. And you know what? God was faithful. He was faithful because he remains the same through all of our seasons. When you live with somebody for 33 years and all of a sudden that person is gone, it's a drastic change, a drastic change. But my family and I determined that we were going to trust God and we were going to hold on to him. And I want to encourage you, run to God. Run to God with your situation. Run to God with your fears. Run to God in your trial. Run to God in your loneliness. Run to God. Don't run from him.
Don't blame him. Don't point a finger of accusation at your God who loves you more than you even love yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because I have found through many years of serving the Lord that God sees us and God hears us and God knows us and that he cares. And that's never going to change. It's just never going to change. Seasons change, but God remains the same. You know, Christians, we are blessed and favored by God. The scripture says in, in the King James Version, Luke one twenty eight, that uh, speaking of Mary, um, the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. Now, don't get worried. I'm not a Catholic. Um, the Lord is with thee. Blessed, I said that for you, Jamie. Blessed are thou among women. And Christian, you know what? You're blessed and highly favored too. We're, we're blessed and highly favored. Look at, look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 3 through uh, 14. Um, I have it all written out here. It's like a little cheat sheet. Um, but, but anyway, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You're holy and blameless before him. Imagine that. Talk about a blessing. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Imagine that. We can know the will of God, right? He's revealed the whole, the whole plan to us. We see it. We know it. It's clear to us because he's opened our eyes according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. And that's the mystery of his will. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, this is of course speaking of the disciples, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, that's us, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Yes, we are blessed and highly favored. The next time you ask yourself, why me? Put it in the context of how blessed we really are. Why me, God? Why did you chose me? Why did you open my eyes? I was so sinful. I was so evil. I was just so lost. Why me, God? We don't know the answer, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit is a deposit and a guarantee of the inheritance that we one day will face when we're in heaven. And if you're here today and you're wondering how you may come to know the blessing and favor of God, you don't know the Lord. You know of him, maybe you've heard about him. You have some intellectual knowledge of him, but let me just explain to you. You want to know the blessing and favor of God? Cry out to the Lord that he'll reveal your sin to you. Cry out to the Lord that he can show you the, the offensiveness of your sin. Cry out to God that he might fill you with remorse for it. As James says, weep and mourn and wail. Cry out to God that he might fill you with a desire to repent of your sins, to be forgiven. Cry out to God to forgive you for those sins that you're aware of and those that you're not. 
Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cry out to God to make you righteous. Righteous is a great church word. Churchianity, I'm sure you've heard of it before. We've got our own language and everything. Bless you, brother. I just want to bless you. I just bless your soul. I can see Steve doing it. Bless your soul, brother. <laughs> Righteousness is one of those big Christianese words, right? All that it really means is right intentions. God, give me the right intentions. Just give me desire to do what's right. And maybe I'll screw up. You know, and maybe I'll embarrass myself. And maybe I'll just fall on my face, which I've done a million times. But you know what? Just, just give me a heart to do the right thing. And as we cry out to God, remember, the grace or the favor of God means that to have the desire and the power to do the right thing. And to be filled with joy in doing it. When God gives us his favor, he gives us his desire to please him and to honor him. And not only that, he gives us joy in the midst of us, and in the midst of it, and fills our hearts with the knowledge of him and enables us to walk forward. And that's the abundant life. It's not found anywhere else. It's not. Everything else is empty. Our, right before my wife died, we had our whole house redone. My, her mom was moving in. To, we, we made an apartment for her next door. And so the whole house was redone. And new roof, new siding, new sidewalk, the whole deal. I was like, man, this is amazing. Well, on the, on the day she died, I went out to get the mail. And I walked down the driveway and I looked back and I looked at my house and it meant absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because she was gone. She was gone. And I was like, what are houses? What are possessions? What is anything? What does anything even matter? But you know what? The Lord didn't leave me. My family were still there. I had my children. And let me tell you something. I held on to them a lot tighter. They were there for me. We were there for each other. So now we're in a new season. Another season. For over a year, I cried out to God that he would send someone to spend the rest of my life with. I needed that. You know, pastors often talk about the two scariest situations for, for a Christian. Singleness and the call to missionary service. Now, I relish to call to missions. I really do. I, I love to go overseas and serve the Lord. I, I love that, but I'm telling you what, I did not want to live alone. Um, I had my first girlfriend at the age of four. Her name was Holly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no lie, no lie. Her name was Holly. And so Holly and I, I would go to Holly's house, and she had this kind of interesting floor plan in her house, but they had this sunroom, and that's where she kept all of her toys and everything. And we were in nursery school together. And her parents had this bike with training wheels, and it would go like from the sunroom through the living room, around through the kitchen. It was like, could go around like this. So what I would do is I'd say, okay, honey, I'm going to go to work now. And I'd get on that bike, and I'd ride it through, <laughs> go through the kitchen, back over to the sunroom, open a little door, give her a little kiss. Hi, honey, I'm home. Yeah, that was me, age four. <laughs> I was made for that. I was. I was made for that. And so, anyway, um, that, I just needed that. And so I just cried out to the Lord. But, you know, it has to be God's will. And it has to be God's person. And it has to be God's timing. You know, we can make things happen in our life and create situations that will be good for a little while. But if it's not the will of God, and it's not set up by him, it's just something of our own doing, and it's going to fall to the ground. But anyway, my children and I took care of, our, took care of each other for many, many months, and, uh, and they really took care of me. And it was difficult. I'm the kind of guy, I open a refrigerator, I see all the food, and I'm like, what do I do with that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to put it all together. And, 
and, and make it go from the refrigerator or the freezer to the, to the pot, to the table. And it's all very confusing to me. <laughs> but you know, my little hope over here, <laughs> she can whoop up a meal like nothing. And, and, and yeah, she cooked, she, she's 17 years old, she's cooking for us every day, you know? She's going to work, coming home, you know, teenager. Emma too, same thing, Molly. You know, they're, they're, they're just doing their thing, and then they come home, dad comes home from work, they got the house cleaned, they got the food on the table, and that was, that was the life that, that we lived. Um, well, after about a year or so, I met Tanya. Uh, who is now my wife. And I could tell you story after story, but, but suffice to say, we fell in love. And God confirmed to me and to her separately and also together that he had planned for us to be together. And God is doing a beautiful thing. He took a bunch of hurting people, because Tanya is also a widow, and he's created a new family. And there are challenges that come with God's leading. There's a spiritual world out there with a real enemy. But we have a loving, consistent, heavenly Father who does not change. And he's always watching out for us. And so imagine going through COVID as a family. Me as a teacher, I'm in there every day, you know, in school. I teach eighth grade English. And, um, you know, you lose your mom and you lose your wife and you're having to adjust and figure out how to survive. And then, then you have to and judged a whole new paradigm as a kid because your, your dad's now fallen in love. And this all happens in the span of like two years. And so it was like a whirlwind in our house. Or, or imagine being a woman who, who lost her husband and she lives down in Delaware and, God, and she, she has no children and God calls her to, to come up to New Jersey. Like, who goes there? Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> and marry a man with seven kids or ten really and four and a half grandkids. And that's what God has called us to do. That's what God has called our family to be. That's what he's doing, and, and he's helping us in a marvelous way, and he's doing what we cannot do, and that's what God will always do. He'll do what we cannot do, and, and we appreciate your prayers as we move forward, you know, into the future. I know that God is able to take care of his people more than able, but I also know that we need the strength of the body's prayers. We need to pray for one another and support one another, and uphold each other. Christians love to kill and eat their own. They love to do this. I was talking to Tim about this the other night. You know, if you look up anybody like who's kind of famous, like John Piper or, or any of those other famous preachers out there, as soon as you Google their name, the word that comes after is the word heretic. Just like that. It's unbelievable. And so here we are. I love Jesus. Oh, I hate that guy. Oh, he's so this, he's so that. Well, why don't we just chill out and understand that God has saved all of us and we might have different points of view. But listen, we're an army together and we can't be stabbing our other people in the back just because maybe they don't think like us or maybe they have a different theology or whatever. But if they cling to the main tenets of the faith that God is real and Christ is Lord right? And he died for our sins. He gave his life for our atonement. And someday we're going to be with him in heaven all together, even with those bad Christians who don't think like us. Maybe we ought to just chill out a little bit and love one another as Christ has called us to do so the body of Christ can be strengthened and we can really make an impact on this world, right? It's true. It's true. And so listen, it's fine to talk about theology. I love talking about it. I, I talk about it all the time. But at the, but at the end of the day, we've got to love one another. 
We got to love one another. It's so true. It's so true. Um, so anyway, God is doing a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about returning to Asia next summer um, with my teacher wife, who I didn't even know was a teacher when I met her. I'm excited to tell you that the love of God is beyond anything I ever realized. Through all of this, I saw the love of God in a way that I had never, ever seen the love of God before. I had no conception as to what the love of God actually really was. And now when I read some scriptures that talk about the love of God, I'm getting a new sense of how deep and how wide and how broad is the love of God. I had no idea. I really had no idea. Um, so I'd like to share a few truths with you since I have about 18 minutes. Um, oh, wait, we started late. Nothing profound, just a few truths to encourage you this morning. And don't worry, I, I'm not long-winded. I'm really not. Um, but these are lessons that I've... Well, that was a lie. These are lessons that I've learned over the course of the last few years. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means, um, but hopefully it'll encourage you. That's what I really prayed for. Tanya and I were just praying, you know, God, help us to encourage the body. Help us to strengthen the body. Help us to glorify the Lord. That's really, that's really what, we, what we wanted to do today. Um, so Steve has always said, and, and for many, many years, he always said, God never wastes a trial. And it's really true. God never wastes a trial. And um, I wonder if you just look at James 1, 2 through 8. Uh, James 1, 2 through 8. I don't have this one written out, so I got I to gotta find it. Um, James 1, 2 through 8 says this. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, or when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, because you might need wisdom in your trial, you know, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And it's very, very easy to doubt in the midst of a trial because we can't see clearly. We don't know what's at the other end of it. We don't know how it's going to work out, right? But the person may not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's the doubter. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As we set our hope on Jesus, you know how we always say, I'm going through a trial, I'm going through a different situation or a difficult situation. The, the preposition, forgive me, I'm, I'm an uh, English teacher. Um, the preposition through indicates a beginning and an end. So you got to understand that when you're going through a trial, there is an end to that trial. You're just in the middle of it. And, and God may be taking you through, you know, through a difficult place, but it will end. It will not last forever. Psalm 66 10 through 12 says, you've tried us, O God. You've refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. Praise the Lord. There's an end to the trial. Paul knew what it was like to go through many, many trials, but he said that it was so, and this is first, Second Corinthians verse 8 through 10, he says, so we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Because sometimes we get really used to trusting in ourselves. I'll figure it out. I, I, I can answer that. Oh, yeah, I could, I, could, I could take care of that. I could fix that situation. But, but in the end, 
we kind of realize that God is actually trying to bring us to a place where we trust in him alone. So we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a pearl of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, praise the Lord, and he will yet deliver us. There's an end to the trial. Jesus went through this as well in Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Trials teach us lessons that ease and prosperity never could do. It's the truth. Look at Psalm 77, verse 19 and 20. Um, I, just, I just saw this this morning. I said, yeah, I got I to throw that in there. Psalm 77, um, verses 19 uh, through 20. It says, um, your way was through the sea. Now, let me just stop there for a second. I, I really believe the Lord was showing me this. You know, sometimes God's going to take our walk with him through the sea. He's going to bring us up to the foaming, churning waters, kind of like Psalm 46 says, you know, um, and it's going to be a scary place and it's going to be swirling all around us. And it says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. We're not going to see God leading us. We're just going to be walking through it and we're not going to see God leading us. Yet you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. May God lead us through every difficult situation, through every trial. Because you know what? Our God never changes. And that's the way he's always worked. That's what he's always done. And this is really important to know in a world that's changing so rapidly. You know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, the evil world we live in, and I don't know if I should have children, and, and on and on and on. But you know, every generation receives the anointing that they need for their own generation. So young people, you don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear the crazy world around you. Um, you don't have to fear any of that, because our God God is in control. He's absolutely in control. And you have been given a mission that was prepared before the beginning of time so that you might walk in it. God will work out his plan and his purpose for you. He will do that. You need to move forward. Don't be alarmed about the world. Don't be alarmed about your present situation. Continue to fan into flame the gift of God because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Fan into flame the gift of God. Surround yourself with people who encourage you to love God. I'm telling you, start to do that. Walk with those people. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Think about your friends. Consider who they are. Think about what you watch. Does it extinguish your love for God? Or does it spur you on to do good works? This is really, really important that we grasp this because you've got a future ahead of you in a lost and dying world, and God is calling you and me to make an impact on this world. And I pray that I may do that to my last day, to my last day. Praise the Lord. All right. So anyway, you know, James says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Every one of them. In James 1.17, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Sorry, guys. (laughs) 
it's like a challenge. <laughs> Can I get them up there? Can I get them? Um, <laughs> for at home, I just send them a text with the scriptures beforehand, and they kind of put it all in. Well, you don't care about that. All right, anyway. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. And I began to think about how the, the world is changing, and it's growing darker. And, and I hear a lot about how the Lord's returning soon because the world's so dark. And, and maybe that's true. I certainly hope it is, right? Even so, come Lord Jesus, like it says in, in Revelation. But I think it's important to consider the fact that history records many periods of history that were great trial. I mean, just start thinking about World War II and Nazi Germany. How about the Great Depression and Dust Bowl, the Civil War, the Black Plague? Uh, 536 AD, you ever heard of it? Maybe. There was a great volcanic eruption in Iceland that blanketed all of Europe and Asia with ash. It darkened the sun for so long that it was winter-like temperatures for an entire year. year. All crops failed. There was a great famine at the time. Do you think that maybe at that time in 536 AD, the Christians might have thought the world was ending and Christ's return was near? I think so. So, you know, we could look around and we could see this evil, that evil, or the Democrats, or whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Um, <laughs> listen, um, we can look around and think the Lord's return is imminent, and it very may well be. But you know what? Um, it's not for us to just hunker down and wait it out. God would say, forward. Forward, church, forward. Fan that spark of faith into a flame that ignites the masses. Forward. And were it not for the church, where would the world be? We have a mission, folks. We got to move forward because complacency is the enemy of progress. It is. Complacency is the enemy of progress. May God help us to get a fire in our heart to serve him. And your situations, they're all going to work out for good. Your God doesn't change. He's got to work for you. And all of our situations are going to work out for good. They are. John 5, 17 says, my father's working until now, and I'm working. So God's always working. He's always doing 10,000 things, and we see like three of them. John Piper said that. He said, we're, 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 God's doing 10,000 things, and we see three. And it's true. How many times we've been saved or, or kept from situations that could have been very, very harmful or devastating, we don't even know about it and maybe never will, because God is always working. And, and, and just the word of God says that. And we know that all things work together for good. Who love God and who are called according to his purposes, right? For those whom he foreknew, that's Romans 8, 28 um, and 29. For those God foreknew, he knew us before we knew him. It's amazing. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, God's goal in all this, in every situation, good or bad, or that we see as good or we see as bad, because we really don't know. A good thing could become a bad thing by tomorrow. Um, but anyway, his goal is to conform us to the image of God, or Christ. God always has our good in mind. But it's important to understand something, I think, really important. All of these points are true, but we have to understand that many trials are the result of our decisions and actions. We need, we need, to, get, we need to own that. Um, but that being said, many are not. And so it's really easy to point fingers and say, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, we don't really know. We, we don't really know. But we can, rather than gossip, how about we pray for that guy? Um, you know what I mean? Like, 
you know, gossip, it's kind of a choice morsel. It kind of makes us feel good and, 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 and enables us to elevate ourselves in our mind about some other person. But it's not, not helpful at all. Um, it's not helpful. And, and we do it all the time. You know, it used to be when I was a kid that, that the guys would never do that, but the guys do it now. Um, and so guys and girls, we're all doing it. Yeah, we're all, we're all talking about other people behind our backs. But as Christians, we could pray to a God who hears us and make an impact on the world around us. And those people who are hurting around us can be helped by the power of the Almighty God. So let's just stop doing that, you know, because when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise, the Scripture says. Because when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we either elevate ourselves above the person next to us, and then we get arrogant, or we put ourselves down compared to the person who's so great next to us, and then we get despondent. And so you just can't win, right? And so when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise, but we can pray for one another. We can love one another. We can encourage one another. We can be there for each other. And that's what you all were for my family. I just need to say that again, because that's what you were. The body of Christ worked itself out here, and I'm forever, ever grateful. And so we don't really know what, what, the, what the reason is for trials. Like I can know that if I make a, you know, a stupid decision or a sin or do something like that, I can know that that may bring some destruction in my life. Like I can know that for sure. Um, but on the other hand, living according to God's word may also bring trial. Many trials. I've been in both situations. Um, you know, when you want to go forward in God and you decide to do the, the work of the Lord and boom, there's a trial, right? It, it works both ways. It really does. So what we really, all, all we could do is that just live a righteous life according to God's direction by his word and, and trust ourselves to a faithful, loving God and take the whole counsel of God, which urges, urges us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ and do good to them while we have the opportunity because it won't always be there. Finally, our God has good character and that's never going to change. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you're ever unsure of the goodness of God, just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. If you're ever unsure, look at the cross and know that the Lord is good. James 1.17, I already said earlier, that good gifts come from God. And if we think that someone or something is going to bring us happiness in life, and we've been shown through God's word or through our authorities who are there for our own good, or through revelation that this situation or circumstance or person or otherwise is not from God, then we're wise to seek the gifts that come from God and avoid what the Bible calls deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says this, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, you know, put aside me to hold you, get hold of the image of Christ, like, like Joel said earlier, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so our life can become corrupt through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires are simply desires that we have that we think are somehow or another going to lead us to fulfillment, but in the end actually lead us to despair and regret. And they're very, very real. And that's why it's so important to immerse ourselves in the word and surround ourselves with good people. And finally, God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Let's consistently avoid all darkness as it leads us away from the Lord. Our God is with us, so we need not fear. He's always 
going to be with us. He says, fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Praise the Lord. So what's our response to all this? Trials are going to come. Trials are allowed by God, but we're going to get through it. Our God never changes. Everything is going to work out for good, and our God's going to be there for us. Let's just be still and know that he's God. Know that he's God. Trust in the Lord. Like Proverbs 3, 5, one of the most memorized verses in the, in the church. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Make, make him known, in other words. Tell the Lord, I know you see me. I know you know my situation. I know you're aware. Give me wisdom. Change the situation. But let your will be done. You know, even Christ, when he was facing crucifixion, said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why did he pray this? Because he knew the will of God was good. And we can know that too. So let's stop fearing man and ask the Lord to keep our minds steadfast on him and ask the Lord to help us to trust him and ask the Lord to remove from our hearts worry and from our minds and ask the Lord to unburden our hearts. Let's just pray. Father God, I stand here today as a testimony to your goodness. And I know many, many here know the whole story. And um, I want to pray, Lord God, that um, you would begin to speak to the people in this church today. God, help us to know and to be encouraged that you are indeed with us and that you are for us and that we need not fear and that this trial and this situation and this struggle and this difficulty, you got it. You got it. You're going to meet us where we are and you're going to bring us where you want us to be. And I ask, Lord God, that you would give us the power, desire to do your will, to put aside everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race that you've marked out for us. Help us to look to you, Jesus. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, you, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, you scorned its shame, and you sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father God, I want to pray, Lord God, that we too would look to you and endure every trial, every situation, to trust in you in the midst of us, in the midst of it, knowing that you never change. You are faithful. You are true. In Jesus' name.